Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Wednesday, December 14th. We begin with an unknown that's probably really unknown. Any day now, President Biden will either sign or veto a massive spending bill, more than $800 billion just for the next year. $847 billion is the exact number I've seen. And maybe you're thinking, that's a lot of money to run the federal government for one year, $847 billion, getting close to a trillion a year. That's real money. Well, here's the reveal. That's not the whole federal budget for next year. That amount is just for the military. And it's $45 billion more than President Biden even requested. Congress added that $45 billion of our tax dollars, more than the president put in for. We'll explain why. The whole federal budget, by the way, was around $6 trillion in the fiscal year that just ended. According to the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities Think Tank, the largest single item is health care at around 25% of the budget, then Social Security at around 20%, and then the defense budget, which the center says is 13% of our tax dollars. Another way to look at it comes from the TurboTax website, believe it or not, which says the federal government spends approximately 20% of its budget on Social Security, 20% on health care, and 20% on national security, most of which goes to the Pentagon, the defense budget per se. So those are some basics that you might not have known. And while most members of Congress of both parties vote for these large amounts of defense spending every year, not all of them do. So here's a contrast that may interest you. Here is New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand on this show last month when I asked her if the defense budget these days is too big for the nation's actual defense needs. I asked her that question. Gillibrand is on the Armed Services Committee, so it's very relevant to her. Here's the beginning of her answer. Actually, um, this funding is essential uh, for the men and women who serve, for their families, uh, for their ability to have access to food and housing, uh, and we should not short shrift our military. But more importantly, um, Brian, is the national security of the country. Um, The reason why I go to the Halifax conference and the COP26 conference is the world is much more dangerous than... um, than I think people understand, and the risks to America are far greater than they actually know. The risks to America are far greater than most Americans actually know, said Senator Gillibrand here last month. We'll play more from that exchange coming up. But here's Senator Bernie Sanders on Sunday on CNN State of the Union. Sanders says he will vote, as he usually does, against the defense budget bill. Look, we have... Uh, We have 85 million Americans who have no health insurance. We have 600,000 people who are homeless. Uh, We have a dysfunctional health care system, dysfunctional child care system where working parents are paying $15,000 a year on average for child care. Uh, We have got to start protecting the needs of working families. 
Senator Bernie Sanders, independent, of course, from Vermont, who speaks pretty differently from Senator Gillibrand, Democrat from New York, doesn't he? So let's talk about this as the president gets ready to sign or veto the bill. Now we all know he's going to sign it, unless he shocks us. With us now, Slate's military affairs columnist, Fred Kaplan. His column is called War Stories, and he is the author of many books, including his latest, The Bomb, Presidents, Generals, and the Secret History of Nuclear War. Fred's column in Slate out last week is called There Is No Good Reason for a Defense Budget This Large. So now you know where he stands. Fred, always good to have you. Welcome back to WNYC. Thanks. Good to be here. First of all, if listeners are surprised to hear this as our lead angle today, because nobody else is talking about it, <laughs> that's part of your article, right? The media shrugs yeah. at this ginormous defense budget. It, it is it is stunning. Let, let's put this in some perspective. So $847 billion, as you said, that is $45 billion more than what President Biden asked for. And what President Biden asked for was about 35 billion more than what the previous year's defense budget is. It is last year's budget was eh, live radio. Uh, last year's budget was 75 billion dollars larger than Donald Trump's last budget. So uh, this is not, you know, this is not chump uh, change. But now you might say, and friends of mine that I their their initial reaction was, well, look, inflation is up by seven or eight percent. We're sending a lot of stuff to Ukraine. Makes sense that we need to spend that much more. But here's the thing that is neglected. This amount of money, this 847 billion, does not include any adjustments for inflation. It does not include any of the extra weapons or, or to the money that we're sending to Ukraine uh, to buy weapons. This is just the ordinary stuff. Next year, they will have to pass, Congress will have to pass an emergency supplemental that adjusts for inflation, that mm. adjusts for the weapons that we're sending to Ukraine. So this is what, what let me just explain what this is, because it's really kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Every year, the, the civilian leaders in the Pentagon and the White House set a maximum of what the defense budget is going to be. The services, the Army, Navy, Air Force, then submit their budgets, and then they submit something called unfunded requirements. Huh? In other words, things that they would like to have, but that exceed the top line of the budget. This has been going on for years. Most of the time, everybody in Congress knows that, you know, that this is just uh, political gamesmanship. It's not to be taken seriously. What happened this year is that Congress accepted the entire package of unfunded requirements. So in other words, this extra 45 billion, it's not stuff for Ukraine, that's already there. It's just more planes, more ships, more of this, more, it's not like they went through the budget and said, oh, the price of these 30 planes has gone up, we'd better ask for more money. No, they're asking for another 10 or 12 or 15 planes which are gonna cost more. And so actually even this 847 billion, by the time the supplementals come in next year, it's, it's almost certainly going to exceed 900 billion or so. So why do you think nobody but you practically is, <laughs> yeah. is talking about it in the media? I mean, what has made news is the provision in this Defense Authorization Act 
that Republicans got in there that ends the COVID vaccine mandate for members of the armed forces. There's been coverage of that, but not the budget itself in any scrutinized kind of way. Why, why do you think that is? Well, <clears throat> my, 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 my cynical answer would be the next time Senator Gillibrand is on your show, you should ask her. Uh, I don't really know the answer. It, it might be that part of it is theater. Like the defense budget, not that many people in Congress take a close, you know, it's an enormous document. There are staffers on the committees that, that scrutinize it, but most congressmen don't. And so, you know, the world, she's right. The world is a more dangerous place. Uh, some of our rivals are acting more aggressively. Uh, there is inflation. And so the inclination is, well, let's just give the Pentagon whatever amount of money they uh, they ask for. I think that's part of it. Also, I think part of it, maybe in the last few years, we, we've all become numbed to the sounds and sights of extraordinary sums of money. I mean, the amount of money that went for, you know, COVID relief or infrastructure, you know, maybe compared with a few years ago, $800 billion doesn't sound like such an extraordinarily right. maybe, large sum of money. Maybe not. I think in the COVID era, the total federal budget did jump from about $4 trillion to about $6 trillion. So that's obviously ginormous in its own right. And, you know, to take a step back, referring to what I brought up in the intro, most people don't know what the federal budget is or right. where it goes. So that breakdown is pretty interesting. Roughly, according to TurboTax, 20% for defense and other national security, 20% for social security, 20% for all the health care programs, mm -hmm. Medicare, Medicaid, the Children's Health Insurance Program, and Obamacare policy subsidies. You know, someone once said the United States government is basically an insurance company with an army. It's kind of <laughs> like that, no? Yeah. Well, yeah, they also say the Russian Russia doesn't have a military industrial complex. It is a military industrial <laughs> complex. So maybe with oil tossed tossed in there as well. Uh, it's not bad. But, you know, now this is going to make me sound like an old codger. Uh, one of these old people complaining about kids, you know, these days running on the sidewalks or something. But when I worked on the Hill as a staffer, now again, this is 40 years ago, but there were staff members of the armed services committees in the house and the senate and these were tended to be very hawkish guys and they almost all were guys back then but they would scrutinize every line item of the defense budget they would say well this system it's proved really it doesn't work in tests we're withholding the funding until the tests get better and this you know looking at systems a and b they do the same thing, and B is more cost-effective than A, so we're getting rid of A. I mean, they would really do it at that level. And as I understand it these days, nobody is really doing this. Nobody is doing it. And, and, and also, you know, Brian, the kinds of comparisons you were mentioning with, you know, health care and so forth, you know, there, there are congressional budget committees. What most people don't know is that the budget committees were set up in the 1970s in the wake of the Vietnam War and a lot of criticism of the defense budget. And the whole point of the budget committees were to set national priorities. In other words, they were supposed to come in and they were going to say, okay, we're going to allocate this much for guns and this much for butter, so to speak. And it just never worked out that way because the, the chairman of the armed services and appropriations committees were much more powerful. So there is actually nobody in the Congress and really not that many people in the White House either who say, okay, 
we have this chunk of money and we have these things that all the agency heads say are priorities. Here's the amount of budget. Here's the money that they're going to get. You have to set priorities within that sum of money. You can't have any more. That that doesn't happen anymore. So one one you would think crucial function of government, which is to determine how much of the tax dollars go to X, Y, and Z, doesn't really happen. I wonder what would happen if there was a military budget tax dedicated out of our paychecks that would start a whole different kind of debate in this country about the military budget, perhaps, you think? Hmm. Well, you know, also another thing about Social Security is that it's obligated. There's, Congress can't touch that. I mean, there there's two different parts of the budget. One is stuff that, that you can actually adjust and stuff that's, and the other part, which is, you know, previously obligated. And uh, of, of the part that, that can be touched, uh, the military actually is a much higher percentage. I, I don't have the number right here, but it's something like 50 or 60%. But no, you, you look, obviously, I think the level of education, uh, public education on this issue is kind of extraordinarily low. I mean, the fact that, that you thought, and I think probably correctly, that many of your listeners might have thought that the entire federal budget might be something like $850 billion. Yeah. It's kind of stunning. I mean, and I really blame uh, the, 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 the mass media for some of this. There should be, and there used to be, kind of explainer pieces on this. I mean, when the Congress passes a $16 trillion or whatever it is budget and an $850 billion defense budget, there should be something in the newspaper or online or something that rather than focus so much on what this guy said and how that person voted and, you know, some teeny little but controversial item in the budget that, that that's that's been passed or rejected, should have a little statement. Okay, here's what this is. You know, $50 billion of this is for nuclear weapons. You know, $25 billion is for Navy ships. Here are the kinds of contingencies that people think this might be needed for. Uh, otherwise, you just, you know, you, you kind of fail to rec recognize that the Defense Department, and I'm not, I'm not, listen, I, I'm not someone for, slashing the defense budget to to what it was 10 years ago or anything like that. But <clears throat> it is a bureaucracy. It is no accident that the percentage of the defense budget that goes to the Army, the Navy, and the Air Force is almost one-third, one-third, one-third. Now, what does that tell you? It either tells you that the, that the founders of the Defense Department in 1947, who figured out roles and missions of the services, were incredibly wise wise enough to realize that 70 years from now, you, you would still have these divided up one third, one third, one third, or it's a bureaucracy like everything else. And if you gave one service way more money than the other two services, there's going to be a revolt of the admirals or the generals. It is a political document. It is a bureaucratic document. It is also a national security document. But those distinctions mm. need to be made and parsed. Greg in Brooklyn, you're on WNYC. Hello. Yeah, hi, Brian. Good morning. I just want to very quickly go way back to nine, about 70 years to after the Second World War when President Dwight Eisenhower uh, reminded everybody of this military-industrial complex that was developing 
uh, at that time, and he, war he warned uh, the country about the dangers of a self-perpetuating a system like that, which unfortunately has what has happened. And I think, uh, Brian, after 9-11, the level of paranoia in this country grew so greatly that the Pentagon essentially got a, a blank check. And frankly, the Pentagon doesn't even ask for this much money. It's, it's Congress and the political hacks in Congress that, that want to preserve their, their pork barrels for their uh, districts, and that's why there's such an inflated bu uh, budget. So Great. I just want to reflect on that and, and put that in. Thank you. Th thank you very much. And on the military-industrial complex, let me go right to another caller, C.T. in Brooklyn, who has a personal story that's, I think, going to reflect or at least allege uh, something here. Hi, C.T., Hello. I worked in the um, uh, defense industry, contracting industry, after the Vietnam era from 76 to 84. And I do know at that time that contractors would inflate the prices quite a bit, a whole lot. And I, I also remember that there was a big thing in the news. I think of, um, one of the presidents back then made a note of it, how prices were being inflated for the military. And it was in the media, and then it just stopped. But um, contractors did it then greatly, and I'm sure they do it even more now. You can have one product that's a price for everybody else. In the military, they would boost the price up. And that's CT, about all I have to say. Thank you very much for that anecdote. Yeah, we used to hear about the $700 toilet seats mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and things like that. Not so much anymore. I don't know if they do a better job at weeding that out. But, yeah, uh, but yeah, there's, there's, there are corporate interests, and as the previous caller said, there are pork barrel interests because there are jobs related to the Pentagon in their districts, right? Yeah, well, you, you remember uh, that there was a defense, uh, a, a Pentagon cost analyst many years ago named Ernie Fitzgerald who said that an airplane is simply a fleet of, of spare parts flying in close formation. So in other words, what, what you heard about the $600 toilet seat and that sort of thing, it applies to every spare part that's on a plane, and a plane is basically just a collection of spare parts. Mm. This is part of the problem, you know, th there is no real competition. You know, uh, there have been so many mergers in the defense industry, you've, you've got basically three or four major defense contractors. And once they have a contract, you know, to build a ship, I mean, that's, a, that's a big thing, that's a multi-year venture. Uh, if the costs suddenly go way up, it's not like the Pentagon can say, oh, we're, we're taking this away from, from Corporation X and we're going to give it to Corporation B. It, it's too late, and you kind of have to pony up to, to whatever. Uh, just one correction of one of your callers. Uh -huh. uh, Eisenhower made the remark about the military-industrial complex in his farewell speech of That's 1960. Right. But, uh, but yeah, look, this was a, a, a former five-star Army general. He, he knew what he was talking about. So there you have it, folks. Now at least you know that there is an $847 billion Defense Authorization Act on President Biden's desk right now, including $45 billion more provided by Congress than the president even requested. Not many people are talking about it. We have, thanks in large part to Slate's Military Affairs or War Stories columnist Fred Kaplan, his column on this uh, is is called There is No Good Reason for a Defense Budget This Large. His latest book is The Bomb, Presidents, Generals, and the Secret History of Nuclear War. Fred, thanks so much as always. Sure, thank you.
Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.